Hello, and welcome to Faith Facts with Father Howard. I'm Lindsay, here with Father Howard, and on today's episode, we are discussing wisdom literature. So let's get started. Hey, Lindsay, always good to be with you. Uh Uh-oh, why are you laughing already? Wisdom literature, or (laughs) at times... It is referred to as the writings. He's laughing because I told him I hate it when he gives me a title and then tells me it's something different. <laughs> but as I responded, that, at times it's just it's neat to be able to um, to discover so many things because at times we 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 refer, we we refer to a particular type of uh, literature, and and yet it's. Um, what we perceive it to be, it, it can be so much broader. Now, going back to the, the Jewish tradition, uh, the writings, you had uh, literature that was more specifically at times claimed to be wisdom like Ecclesiastes and, and Proverbs and such, but also included in this, in this wisdom literature, and it's a particular kind of literature, is what we would call, for example, like the Psalms. The Song of Songs. Um, it's you know it's 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 literature again that has just a tremendous tremendous breadth of where it comes from, what it expresses, uh, what it can say to people's lives, and how it was put in put within the the, the canon of scriptures. Um, let's see what happens. You might say the, a little bit of the story when you we last week we had talked about the uh, Deuteronomistic history, part of the history of of how things got to where they were, of how things uh, you know developed and and where did we come from, where are we going, how do we going to get, how are we going to get there, what are the things that we have to do. This literature was written. Shortly after, you might say, the time, usually around the time of Solomon, which is one of the reasons why uh, the the author of a lot of times the the uh, wisdom literature is perceived to be Solomon, which is probably not true. <laughs> um, it was written around that time, and and you think, well, why was it written? Because this was a different type of literature that, with peace with stability, uh, with economic gain, with all of those pieces that were becoming part of people's lives. Uh, and as a result of the United Kingdom, you know, under David and Solomon carries that through. Not England, but like a United uh, yes, Kingdom. Yes, <laughs> a United, the North and the South, you know, the North and the South, Southern Kingdoms. What happens is when people get to that point, there comes a new way of thinking. People have time to sit down and think about their lives and about living and about just plain existence itself. They're not going hungry anyway the people putting all of this together. They're not going hungry. They don't have to worry about water coming through their roof. They don't have to worry about where they get their next meal. They don't have to worry about packing everything up and running, you know, to get away from a, a marauding tribe or an invading army. These are people, you might say, that have a bit of luxury, the luxury of 
being able to simply sit back and think about life and, and, and different aspects of life, of human existence. Israel, the people of Israel, believed that they encountered God through human existence, not in addition to human existence. There's a difference. Human existence, and, and, and when you think about it, that's what the Bible shows. That through human existence, these people from the time of our first parents, Adam and Eve, all the way through to Solomon, is that the Bible, the scriptures, the stories were told so that a people grew in an understanding of that this was the way they encountered the divine one. Not somebody, you didn't have to have a secret knowledge. You didn't have to, to be smart. You didn't have to be wealthy. You didn't. One encountered God in human existence. That was very key. But during this time, you might say, of luxury and, and, and prosperity and such, there comes a new question, you might say, when you start to reflect on a lot of the literature. What kind of role does God play in everyday life? How did he act? They believe he acted. Mm -hmm. They believe that he, there were consequences when you didn't follow the law. But what kind of role does God play? Does he play a role? And these are the kinds of questions now that you might say they didn't add anything to the, the national story, you know, like First Kings would or, or Second Samuel or, you know, Judges. This didn't add anything to the national story, uh, a line that, that, that would have, was being put together. Instead, it was leading to and eventually led to, you might say, uh, a guide for successful living, a how-to book. <laughs> you know, um, you might say a successful living book for idiots. Um, how do we do this and how do we do it well? That takes time and energy for people who have the time and energy to mm -hmm. give it. And so those were the kinds of, 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 of questions. And, and what we find, though, is that there's, there's in a way, there's a universal uh, element to this uh, because you know, no matter what culture you're looking at, eventually when that culture, you know, if it's not destroyed, but eventually once it settles, when it gets to a certain point, you have the opportunity and you have the, the almost human longing to ask those kinds of questions. What is happiness? How are we to be, how do, how do we know? How can somebody teach me what it means to be happy? I feel like you're looking into a lot of people's soul right now. Yeah. Well, asking the same questions. Yeah. You, you know, because, you know, things happen. You know, life happens. Um, and and how, how, how do we discover a sense of happiness in the midst of it all? Uh, this, like I said, it didn't add anything to the history. But it certainly did ask, add something to, uh, to what was, you know, would be seen as the quality of life. And, you know, that idea, again, of... Um, the guide to successful living. Uh, there was, as I mentioned, there were similar questions, you know, because what was happening is that 
many of these people, and, and because of where Israel, uh, or let's say, you know, Solomon had the capital in Jerusalem and in the northern kingdom also, is that uh, they controlled all of the, the international trade routes in that whole part of the world. It's one of the reasons why there was such wealth, is that all of the shipping came through them from the Mediterranean going east. Everything that went to the Mediterranean going west all went through what we call Israel basically today. So the encounters that these people had from all over the world, you know, starts to add bits and pieces, you might say like a mosaic, that uh, of, of things that people were talking about, things, uh, fads, you know, all sorts of stuff that, that happens is that um, this, this, this is where all of this information was coming to. It wasn't just the people, you know, sitting down from, from the, the Israelites. This, this information was coming, as I mentioned, from all over the world. And so what was happening is that, you know, as life was being observed, it was seen that there was some sort of order to it. Now, where do we get that? Huge comes across in a huge way with Ecclesiastes. There's a time for everything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a time for everything and everything under heaven. And, and when you look at Ecclesiastes, you know, at times we... <clears throat> We, we end up, you know, with the, you know, turn, turn, turn with the yardbirds. And, and you have, you know, it's, 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 you know, read at lots of different times. The whole book really, when you, you kind of boil it down to its essence, is that it basically says there is a time for everything. You don't have anything to do with it because it's not in your control. So stop trying. It's not your time. Exactly. You do what you can to live as well as you can, and the rest is in God's hands. So your job is to do as well as you can, the best that you can, and leave the rest in God's hands because there is not a thing you can do about it. A time for peace and a time for war. A time for famine, a time for bounty. Not a thing you can do about those things. Do the best you can, leave the rest in God's hands. That's really what it is. And that's so... Wisdom literature, you know, that, that, that our life and such is that there's, there isn't a lot that we can do with some. And somebody say, well, how fatalistic? To a degree, yes. But there are places and parts that we can do something about, and that's what we're supposed to do the best that we can. And so when, so when we look at this is that it was seen that if we can harmonize, when we look at, at life and nature, there is a harmony to it. There is a rhythm to it. When we can harmonize our lives to all of that, then life will be good and we will be happy. It's about harmonizing with with the world that God has set into motion. When we do that, then we're happy. The primary interest then of the wisdom literature, and that again includes all sorts of books. When you look at these writings, it includes such things as Psalms, Job, Proverbs, Ruth, Song of Songs, Ecclesiastes, Lamentations, Esther, Daniel, Ezra, Nehemiah. When you look at all of this kind of in all of this literature, it really is about discovering what was the proper way to live, a proper way of living. Um, wisdom, as I sh- you know reflect a little bit with some of these books, wisdom literature uses riddles, parables. 
metaphors uh, in order to teach, instruct, and to persuade. When you're looking at liter wisdom literature, always ask yourself, what's the moral of the story? <laughs> because there usually is one. What's the moral of the story? And the idea being is that if you got the moral of the story, you're going to be able to live well and you will be happy. And, and which is a little more complex than follow the law or God will punish. Mm -hmm. there, there is an element that says, you know, there are things that God has set into motion. We are capable of either harmonizing with that or not. We are capable of harmonizing to that to just a degree or not. It's not simply all or nothing. It's not simply black and white. So are you supposed to look at this as the prophets, they came first and that was their way of ruling because probably that was the easiest because they were nomadic and just trying to live their lives so they were safe. Whereas then we build upon that and get to the wisdom literature and that should come next? Or do we look at both of it, both things as a way to follow? Actually, a lot of the prophetic literature, uh -huh. um, well, you know, up and through, up through kings and everything, is that certainly came before because, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't any peace yet at that mm -hmm. point. Um, the prophets like Isaiah, Jeremiah, they come after hmm. because they are preaching around right before the, um, they're preaching right, right before the exile in 587. So things Wis are getting hairy again. Yes. Wisdom literature was about 100 years before that. Okay. And because it was a time, this was the time about 40 or 50 years after David. And it was time when during the 40 some years that Solomon ruled, but he was a lousy king. Uh, and so things were starting to fall apart mm -hmm. shortly after Solomon's uh, rule. So the wisdom literature was really a time um, after the prophetic literature that dealt with the history and, and those kinds of things, the particular history of what led up to the kingship. And then the other prophets, though that was after because things were getting hairy mm -hmm. and, and they were trying to explain the reasons why you screwed up the covenant. So again, not really linear, so yeah, to speak. It, it, okay. uh, exactly. Wisdom literature, you come out of that historical line, you might say, and, and you might say is it's looking at it from above and saying, where's God? And how, do we, how are we happy in the midst of all of this? And, and what does that mean? And, and how do we learn to be happy? So it's, you might say it's, it's more of a, a, a bird's eye view of everything that had been happening and saying, how do we discover happiness in the midst of all of that? It's more of a commentary rather than, you know, kind of the storyline on okay. it. When you look at, um, again, going with, with some of that, that wisdom literature, um, this wasn't a time where they, you know, were somehow advocating happiness for happiness sake. There was plenty of that, which is why Solomon's kingdom and everything later on fell apart, because there were those who were simply greedy 
enslaved the people. You know, it was happiness was perceived to be in money. Now, wisdom literature, it's that was not about somehow how do you make more money. It was about the fact that um, happiness was the evidence of leading a wise life. This was this was the you might say one of the, the, the sure telltale signs. If you were happy, if there was a sense of joy, it meant that you were living, you had somehow discovered how to live a wise life. You had discovered you know, what the wisdom literature had been trying to teach us. There was no standard ritual, you might say, in, 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 in the wisdom literature of, you know, follow this guideline and you will be happy. Is that really it was more of a, you know, might say a situational type <laughs> of thing where, you know, a person discovered how to be happy through life experience. And the wise person, you might say, had this storehouse of wisdom that one could use, you know, as they live their lives, that they could use that storehouse of human experience, you know, to help them address situations in their life, which is one of the things when it comes to like the book of Proverbs. And you have all of these wise sayings, you know, that that Proverbs shares because these are things that somebody, you know, the person, the author of Proverbs, the teacher, these are things that the teacher has learned. These are thing, the te things that the teacher has come to an awareness of. And, and, and by sharing this, you too can be wise. You too can come to know the happiness. So for example, you know, Ecclesiastes. It's, it's much of this is that Ecclesiastes means church, community. It, with ecclesiastical literature, why it's used a lot of times within church situations or whatever because of you know similar to you know the there's a time for everything say so you can't control it all stop trying live the best you can the rest is in God's hands it, it, that is wisdom a person who comes to understand it now this is not about just you know lying down and do nothing and let everybody else take care of it this is about there are things you can't control hmm. when you live and when you die. Stop worrying about it. Do the best you can. You will come to know God's wisdom. It was in some ways that simple. It was, you know, when you look at the, you know, for example, some of these books, the, 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 uh, the book of uh, where I saw it here, the book of Tobit. Tobit is wisdom literature. Tobit is the story where, you know, Sarah and Tobiah, you know, she's the one that had been married, uh, tried to be married seven times. And every time, you know, the next morning, well, I was going to say he didn't wake up dead. He was dead. And she, you know, they all, all of her husbands were, were, were dead, you know. <laughs> and so even with Tobit and such is that he wants to marry her. And, you know, he said, well, do you really know what you're doing? Mom and dad of Sarah are basically saying, you know, another one's going to bite the dust. They have their servant go out and dig a grave behind the house in the family plot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, uh, because they say, well, here's another one that's going to die. And so they retire for the night. Okay. But 
what does it say? And it said that they both rise and, and they pray. And it said, you know, and there's, there's key elements here. We give you thanks, O God. Starts with God. Um, you know, this is not about us. This is about our love for each other. And, and so he has this prayer. And when you look at the prayer, it, it recognizes that it's not about selfishness. It's not about any of that. It's about loving, caring for each other, loving God. And what freaks them out is that the next morning as they come into the bedroom and they find him alive. What's the moral of the story? You got seven dead ones and you got one live one. Why was he different? It was the prayer. It was the centering. It was the focus. That's, that's the kind of literature, wisdom literature, um, you know, is about. It, it, it takes a look at, you know, at the lives of people and you recognize that, you know, because it begs the question, well, what, what did the other ones do wrong? Look at the prayer. First and foremost, God. Love, generosity, care. You know, you look at the uh, Sirach, the, you know, the book of Sirach, where blessed is the man of a really good spouse. Um, this is not about how do you make, you know, your wife a slave. This is about how does one do the tasks, the daily tasks of living, to do them with joy and with a sense of devotion. It brings joy. And it says, well, you know, the husband, you know, is is thrice blessed or whatever. But when we talk about, you know, the husband being thrice blessed or whatever, is that it's not just about the husband. It's about the whole family. The whole family is blessed when someone goes about their daily routine with a sense of joy and hope and service. Isn't that when mama's happy, everyone's happy? Well, I guess that's, <laughs> you know. But that's, that's wisdom literature. It's taking life circumstance and saying, what, what do we learn from that? What do we gain? What kind of knowledge do we gain? Not, not only that, how then are we able to pass that knowledge on to others so that they also may come to this awareness of what it means to live a genuinely happy life? Um, wisdom literature also deals with emotions. You know, you look at the Psalms and they're just all sorts of the emotions you have you know, the, the praise psalms, the, the, the blessing psalms, the, the questioning psalms, and, and you have the curse psalms that, you know, which, which I often thought when it was an interesting tight label, is that you have those psalms that saying, you know, God, I am in this terrible situation. I am helpless. I can't do anything about it. I know you can, and I know that you are able to take care of all of this. Here's a few things I'd like you to do to them. You know, I'd like you to tear them limb from limb. I'd like you to wipe them all out to the 10th generation. I'd like you to destroy their homes. I'd like, you know, we say, well, that's really a kind of a sad psalm. It was a statement of faith. I can't do anything about this, Lord. You can. I just want to offer a few ideas. <laughs> Some suggestions. Yeah. You know, and, it's, and, and that takes great faith, but it also takes... It also takes a genuine relationship with God to do that. You know, which of us, you know, would feel comfortable with saying, you know, God, I'm in this terrible situation and uh, I can't, I, I'm, I'm, I, I am humbled because I can't do nothing about it. I know you can. Here's what I'd like you to do. <laughs> 
Here's what I'd like you to do. We have sometimes a saccharine or overly sweet, you know, we're supposed to, you know, just praise, 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 praise. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and sometimes what we're missing at times with our relationship with God is the gut-wrenching, is the anger, maybe the rage, and in, in the questions why. And a willingness to, to, you might say, to let our humanness out, you know, to kind of just put it on full display, like the cursed Psalms would say, is that, and here's what I'd like you to do to them. Um, I suspect most of us, we, we would have a hard time putting, just kind of putting it all out on the table. That's what wisdom literature does. Um, there was, so there was no, no one standard other than, you know, that was there genuine happiness, was there, was there genuine joy. Um, so in many ways, it was extremely pragmatic, very pragmatic. Wisdom literature, though, didn't come out of a vacuum. As I mentioned with the, uh, even with the Deuteronomistic history, that literature didn't come out of a vacuum. Neither did the wisdom literature. And when you, when you start to look at some of the literature and compare it to other literature of other cultures around the known world at that time, those cultures that would have been trading and been on the trade routes there, is that you realize that uh, they really were connected to the whole ancient Near Eastern world. And, and we, we, we look at some of this, and uh, oftentimes when uh, that wisdom literature was compared to literature uh, at other places, and usually was shown how our wisdom literature of the Israelite people was much better than your <laughs> wisdom literature. And how does this come through? For example, is that, and you look at, it, it takes into consideration all of the story now, is that when the king was looking for someone to, in the pharaoh, I should say, was looking for someone to interpret dreams, it was Joseph that interpreted the dreams, mm -hmm. not all of the wise sages of that time. Um, Job's reputation you know, and, and that's found, I should say, the thing with Joseph is found in Genesis, in, in chapter 41 of Genesis, is that in Job, Job's reputation was compared to all of the wise sages of the known world, that his reputation of wisdom, of holiness, was, you know, saying he was by far superior than all of those, is that it, it's looking at the, the wisdom literature from other cultures and even adopting it and adapting it um, adopting and adapting mm -hmm. it, you know, to their own use. Much of the material that we find in wisdom literature, at times the archetypal stories, you know, that, that we have, and, you know, stories that, you know, we have all sorts of stories. It's just, you know, it's like it's the same love song, only with different names, you know. Mm -hmm. It's the same, you know, story of good versus evil, only with, you know, different names and different characters. Well, the same thing pretty much happened, you know, is that they were drawing information from the Egyptian areas, Mesopotamian cultures, and the Canaanite cultures. There are texts from all of those that you see woven into this. Uh, it was very common to borrow. I mean, this was not, not something that they just did. This is stuff that they did on a very, uh, was a very common thing that they did. And so uh, what they would do is they would take this material and as I mentioned, they would adopt 
adapt and reinterpret you know as necessary which makes sense because if it was a time of peace then they're coming into contact with all of these different correct cultures peacefully and so oh i like how that sounds yeah that works <laughs> oh i like that mm-hmm. oh that works and and we do the same you know when yeah you know when we when we look at stories or we look at um, wisdom sayings from whether it's from the eastern rites or right. whatever you know it's amazing how the um, when you look at some of the writings of scripture and the the Vedas or the Dhammapadas, which are some of the Eastern holy holy writings, how similar you know that the sayings are, how similar uh, the teachings of Jesus to some of these others, of of looking how people you know adopt these things and and use them as their own. What we do find with wisdom literature is that it was. Uh, highly ethical you know there was a, certainly a high sense of ethics um, it was fundamentally it was monotheistic um, although sometimes there were tads of of multiple gods gods you know kind of dispersed dis, dispersed in there but as you were just had mentioned you know that wouldn't have been uncommon because of everything they were being exposed to mm-hmm. when you think about this ragtag band that you know would have been come out of Egypt and and had to be so um, you, you know had to circle the wagons just to survive mm-hmm. and now because of the kingdom because of wealth because of the doors being opened you might say they were being exposed to things that I suspect many of them couldn't have even dreamed of mm-hmm. and so now some of this starts to weave itself in now eventually you know it has to be revised and looked at again you know over time but but there's smatterings, you know, in different ways that that comes through, um, and so when you, with with the with this literature, um, you will find sometimes these themes, particularly of other places, in, in as I mentioned Proverbs. Um, it was as I said, it was highly ethical, fundamentally monotheistic, and at times, but not really regularly at times. It equates true wisdom with fidelity to the law of Israel. You know, even though that fidelity to the law was the key factor that went through the whole Deuteronomistic mm-hmm. history, wisdom literature was kind of stepping back and kind of observing. And yet, you can see how the the Israelite culture and such that and the Deuteronomic, you know, themes would come in. That uh, you know that that there were times when genuine happiness it's like somebody had to get that in there but genuine <laughs> happiness came with fidelity to the law when you look at uh, you know some of this just to kind of bring you know a, a little bit of a uh, an idea is that when we're looking at you know for example the book of job um you know job is is wisdom literature it it was a story here again, once you read Job, um, you ask yourself, what's the moral of the story? Job, as we know, is about a man who's very wealthy, very holy, and yet is, and yet is, you know, hard times, he, he falls on hard times. Now, as they say, you know, the devil and God have this discussion or whatever. The fact is, is that he loses pretty much everything that he has. 
Now, in the book of Job, you have three characters who are saying to Job. Now, this comes out of the Deuteronomic understanding. If you do good, you are blessed. If you do bad, you are cursed. So the logical conclusion was, this happened, therefore you must be cursed. You must have sinned. And that's why he lost everything. Right. Okay. And Job is saying, I have not sinned. I have been faithful to God. I have done none of this. I do not understand. Job is trying to figure it out. His three companions have it all figured out. And you have God saying, you know, it's not quite as simple as you think, Job. And so Job then blames God for a while. And so God, you know, sometimes some of these things are really very funny. Is that, you know, this back and forth between Job and God. And, and God says to Job, um, since when's the last time you counted the sands on the seashore, Job? When's that last time you did that? How many were there, Job? You know, when's the last time you, you counted the stars in the sky, Job? When's, when's the last time you did that, Job? You know, and Job said, I have done none of that. I am, you know, I am sorry. You know, how foolish of me, that, yada, yada, yada. But the idea being is that, you know, it's not as simple as the Deuteronomic writers would like to make it. This is, this is what we would like, you know, to... Uh, to be able to recognize we want it to be very simple and saying it's not that simple is that bad things happening to good people Job the book of Job helps us to understand that when bad things happen it's not simply the easy explanation of he must have sinned life is more complex than that that's what the book of Job tells us you know we think well you know it's so simple good bad whatever and really, what, what the book tells us is that life is just a whole lot more complex. That's one of the key things that wisdom literature tells us. The Psalms tell us the same thing. The Song of Songs, where you have, you know, the lovers running through the, you know, through the forest, playing peek peekaboo, um, is that there is so much that wisdom literature, you know, says that rather than just straight lines, there's a whole lot more squiggles going on here. A whole lot more squiggles. <laughs> and it's being able to grow in an understanding of that that we come to a sense of joy and happiness in our lives. There is just so much with this wisdom literature that really helps to bring balance. And I would say that that really in many ways helps to bring a balance to the, um, to the absolutes that you find oftentimes within the Deuteronomistic history. So. Lovely. All right. A lot Lots there. to think about. Yes, a lot there. Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode, and we will see you next time.